Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. We are into a series on divine healing. And uh, last week, we talked about miracles. We talked about miracles in general and how uh, the doctrine or theology of miracles uh, factors in to supernatural healing because clearly the Bible is full of miraculous healings throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And we see God working other miracles throughout the Old and New Testament on behalf of his people. We'll refer uh, more to some miracles performed by Jesus and others as we work through this stuff. But last week, we looked at not a miracle of healing, but a miracle of a victory that Joshua and Israel achieved uh, over the enemies of Gibeon, which was what? It was a city that had lured Israel into a covenant, into a treaty under false pretenses. And my whole point, really, that is maybe a, a single-point sermon, was that God did one of his most extraordinary miracles in the whole Bible at Joshua's request just so Israel would be able to honor that treaty for what were a godless people, the people of Gibeon. And the conclusion was, if he would do that for them, how much more will God do for us, his children? All right? There was last week's sermon in a nutshell. And that's kind of where we start off today, and we're going to do that by looking at the covenant. Now, the idea of a covenant, the covenant, is woven throughout Scripture. And I'm not doing a full teaching on what covenant is, but probably the best way to understand a covenant is to see it as a treaty or probably more precisely a contract between two parties. We're going to sign this, we're going to enter into this agreement, and we're going to do whatever ritual, whether it's a handshake, uh, a, a witness signature, or whatever, uh, so that we both understand, both agree that if you do this, I will do this. And if I do this, you must do that, etc. And the, the, the conditions of the treaty, uh, or contract, are spelled out in its fullest expression. Uh, true covenant is when two parties enter into an agreement where they pledge all of their resources um, all of themselves to each other's mutual benefit. All right? And when you see it like that, it's really kind of startling when you think about God entering into a covenant with man because what can man possibly bring to the table? Uh, Doc Horton, uh, one of my instructors at Rama, used to talk about the, the, the Watusi and the Pygmies uh, entering into a covenant with one another. And, and, they, and he talked about, there's, there's some great uh, research. In fact, before I forget, because I don't think I have it in my notes, there's a fantastic book. I've recommended it many times over the years. I've worn, worn out at least two copies of this book uh, called The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread by Richard Booker. Great book about what covenant is. And he talks about uh, missionaries who would cut covenant with tribes they were ministering to uh, but that was it. They would, they, would, they would slice their hand open and let their blood mingle. You know, I don't know if, how many of you ever did the blood brothers thing when you were little. That's not recommended in this day and age. We know a little bit more about bloodborne pathogens and whatnot. But this is what they do. They, they'd drag a knife across their palms, and then they would 
grasp palms and let their blood commingle so that this promise uh, was sealed in blood. Uh, but, you know, the pygmies who average, uh, you know, a little over four feet entered into a covenant with the Watusi who averaged more like between seven and eight feet. And, but they had a scar on their hand that showed they were in covenant. And so these, and the, uh, the pygmies probably were getting the, the better end of that deal, but anybody threatened, up, uh, threatened to attack the pygmies, they could hold up that hand. And like a Doc Horton said, you better be careful going up to that pygmy. There's seven feet of him you ain't met yet. Now, uh, again, when we talk about God entering into a covenant with man, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and we're going, that's what we're going to kind of break down, what that really looks like uh, in our lives today. But next week, we'll be talking about faith for healing. And that, it, it's my intention to talk about faith for healing next week. It kind of depends on how far we get or if I need to clean up anything from this week's teaching before we get into that. But I mention it now because it's, uh, it's impossible for me to talk about the importance of understanding the covenant without talking about faith. Because it is that covenant that, that provides the basis, the foundation for our faith for healing. Anyway, the first covenant that is um, identified as a covenant that we see in the Bible is what is known as the Noahic Covenant. This is the promise that God made never to destroy the earth again by a flood. And he set his bow in the sky, uh, the rainbow, as we call it, as a sign of this covenant. But this was a covenant God essentially made with all of nature, the created earth. All right? And uh, it wasn't specifically even mankind, let alone a man. It was a promise. It was an important promise. But more significantly, I think, in the story of salvation is the Abrahamic covenant. This is when God set Abraham aside and announced his plans to use a specific people, Abraham's descendants, to accomplish his plans on the earth. And uh, his plan was to bring salvation to all mankind. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's the plan, and that last line is a direct reference to the Messiah. This is what God is talking about, whether Abraham realized it or not. He's going to bless Abraham. He's going to make Abraham a blessing. He's going to bless those who bless Abraham, curse those who curse Abraham, and bless all the families in the earth through Abraham. Now, how is he going to do that? He's going to do that through Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ. We know that now. Now, in the, again, in this case, the covenant takes the form of a promise. What is God offering? He's offering blessing after blessing after blessing, a legacy of blessing. What is Abraham? Abraham's part in this part of the covenant is to leave, is to obey God and go to the land that God is going to show him. A couple of chapters later, Abraham is considering the good that God has already performed in his life, and he is lamenting that he has no child to pass the blessing on to. 
that where Abraham is at that point, already as an elderly man, he's got a servant, Eliezer, who was born in his house. And Eliezer stands to inherit everything Abraham has. And God tells him that no, his heir is going to be a son that will be born to him and Sarah, and that his descendants through this son will be innumerable. He tells him to bring some animals, a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. And Abraham does. He kills the animals. He splits them in two except for the birds. And he's preparing this ceremony called Cutting Covenant. And uh, as he's laying these bloody pieces opposite one another, vultures begin to descend on the scene, and Abraham chases them away. And it's interesting, uh, it says at this point, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham. Now, during this deep sleep, God revealed many things to Abraham about the future of his children. I love what Booker, who I just referenced, he's the guy who wrote the miracle of the Scarlet Thread. I love his take on this. He said, here's Abraham trying to involve himself in this ceremony. God's telling him, lay these animal parts aside and, uh, you know, know, bring them to me, cut them, lay them out, and then here come the vultures. So Abraham goes out there, scare them away. God puts Abraham to sleep while he speaks to him. And, uh, And what Booker says is he wanted Abraham to make sure that he wasn't cutting covenant with God, that God was doing this whole thing himself. While God is doing this covenant ceremony, Abraham is sleeping. Look at, read this in Genesis 15. Uh, and, and the things he tells him, by the way, while he's sleeping is about uh, his descendants going into Egypt. They're going to be in a land that's not theirs for, for several generations, and then God's going to bring them back to this land. In Genesis 15, beginning in 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, he's giving him the boundaries. All this land, whether he's met all these people yet or not, he's telling him, this is, this is the land you are going to inherit or your children are going to inherit. But he caused this smoking oven, the burning torch. What's he seeing? This is a representation of God walking between these pieces. Let me explain a couple things before we go on, a couple of details. This is a pretty bloody scene. And again, uh, making a covenant or having a covenant is a nice way of saying it. Cutting covenant is more accurate because it involves the blood. It's sealed in blood. Uh, and, and by the way, covenants like this are known outside of the Abrahamic culture The ceremony itself varies, but what essentially is being said as these two parties walk between these, the sections of this animal that's been slain is, God, do this and more to me if I violate the terms of this covenant. Again, it's sealed in blood. And what's fascinating is that God left Abraham out of that part. Abraham didn't walk through those those parts, this smoking oven, this burning torch did. This was a representation of Jesus himself, God himself cutting covenant on Abraham's behalf. So, when we look at what God is speaking here, and he's speaking blessings over Abraham's descendants, why were they blessed? Because he had blessed Abraham, 
and they were, at this point, in Abraham. You understand? All of the children that would issue forth from this relationship had yet to be born. They were still in Abraham, but since Abraham was blessed, everyone in him carries this blessing. They inherit this blessing. This is super important because as this plays out, we see that all God promised to do for them was theirs, not because they, the Hebrews, were perfect and upright people, but only because they were the legal and rightful inheritors of everything that God promised Abraham. Now remember, what's God's purpose in all of this? To bring Messiah into the world. Abraham and his descendants get blessed in the process because of God's promises. Fast forward a few hundred years. Abraham's descendants are a numerous people, but they are living, living in slavery in Egypt, and God raises up Moses to bring them out and back to the land that he had brought Abraham to. And he, he does the plagues. He parts the Red Sea. He causes the sea to close in and drown Pharaoh's army that's pursuing them. And then a little bit later, right after that, parks them at Mount Sinai, gives them the law. Ten Commandments, of course, but there are several chapters of detailed instructions. And God tells them if they'll obey the law, if they'll keep covenant with him, that he will be an adversary to their adversaries. And several other things that will be expanded on in Deuteronomy, or you know, made a little bit more concise in Deuteronomy. But this is a sermon on healing, so I want you to just look at this. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 25 says this, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. That is a concrete promise in the middle of everything else God is saying about his blessings and his requirements. Then Moses offers a blood sacrifice, and he sprinkles the blood on the altar, and he reads the law to the people. And the people say, we agree to do all the Lord tells us to do. And Moses sprinkles blood on the people and says, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. The blood has been shed. The law has been read. You've agreed to it. Now it's sealed in blood. If you will do this, God will do this. Now, I'm skimming a lot of stuff here, and I urge you to spend the time Spend time every day reading your own Bible. And you can go back and find this and read it in detail on your own. But I'm trying to get to something a little quickly here. But I want you to fast forward again to Moses' last sermon. This is Deuteronomy. Now, this is after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of disobedience. And I think I have time to just quickly remind you of some things. And bear with me. Some of this, you know, like many of you know this like the back of your hand. Some are newer believers. So just bear with me. God did this mighty outpouring of miracles leading up to the Exodus. And then he did these mighty miracles right after the Exodus, the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Uh, all these things God did to show his power and to do these things to deliver his people, to provide for his people, the man and all this stuff. Uh, and then it came time for them to actually go into the land. And what did they do? They refused. They go in, they, they, they spy out the land, and they say, yep, the good news is the land is everything God said it would be. It truly flows with milk and honey. 
and you do what you want with that. When I, when I see milk and honey, I see milk as everything that is necessary, and honey, everything that makes everything desirable. The milk is the necessary nutrients, everything we need for life and good health. The honey is what makes life sweet, and this land is full of all of it. Bad news is, there's already people living there, and they're giants. We can't possibly take them. And you think, well, God's asking a lot. This is a people, you know, they, they go from slavery, and now you expect them to turn into warriors and take on giants. But look at what they had seen with their own eyes. If they couldn't believe God enough to obey him in this, who possibly ever could? And so they were well deserving of God's wrath at that moment. All right, you don't want to go in? You'll all die in the wilderness, and your kids will go in. And they're like, okay, we'll go. He's like, no, too late. So they spend 40 years just waiting for that first generation to die off until everybody that was 20 or younger, now they're the second generation, and God's like, you going in? They're like, yeah, we're going in. All right? So after 40 years, they go into this land. They're getting ready to go into this land, and then Moses is giving his valedictory. And he's telling them, remember what happened. Goes back to the Exodus, goes back, covers the 40 years, reminds them of every good thing God has done. Don't make this mistake again. Go, be bold, go in and take this good land that God is giving you. And he reminds them of the whole law and all the promises. And it is so, so good. You will probably never read a better sermon than Deuteronomy. And my favorite part, really, is when he talks about you're going to go in there and God has laid, he's set a table for you. The good news, it's really good that there are people living there because they've already done all the plowing. They've done all the, they've conditioned the soil. The gardens are already planted. Uh, you're going to inhabit cities where the, homes, where the homes are already built for you. This is already good to go. And not only that, I'm only going to drive them out little by little. If, if they leave now, you won't be able to inhabit the land fast enough to keep all the weeds down and the beasts at bay. So you're going to take it city by city, but it's all going to be yours. So rejoice because God loves you and he's doing this good thing for you. Here's the big risk, people. This is God speaking through Moses, telling the children of Israel this. The danger is it's going to be so good and it's going to happen so fast that you're going to be sitting back before you know it saying, look what I did. Look what I got myself. Look at this house. Look at this garden. Look at my stuff. And you're going to forget that God did it all. And as soon as you forget, that's when you start losing it. So don't forget. Now, but here, that's not really what we're talking about today. They're getting ready to go into land of promise. And Moses reminds them of all this stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. Then it shall, I'm in Deuteronomy 7, 12. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock. Anybody still doesn't believe in prosperity? Oh, that's an Old Testament promise. Never mind. In the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or your livestock, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Hey, bud. Do this, and this is what I will do. 
Because you keep your end of the covenant, I'll keep my end. And this is one, one great and precious promise. I will take away from you all sickness. Is that a good promise? It's a great promise. Do this, I'll do that. Conditional, two-party covenant. Now, what's the bad news? <laughs> Men, even God's people, even God's people who had seen all these miracles were unable to keep their end of the covenant. Now, what's, what's a little bit too bad is that built right into this law that they already had was what? The sacrifice system. God says, here's the covenant. You will live this way. You will do that. You will respond to this situation this way, this situation that way. You'll all be circumcised. You'll keep the Passover. Um, many, many detailed laws. But then says, when you sin, there's the built-in assumption. I know what you're made of. You're fallen creatures. You're, you, you, don't in, you don't have the nature that Adam had before the fall. I get it. So here's what. When you blow it, I still want to be in covenant with you. Here's how we're going to do that. When you sin, you take this animal and you do this. At this such, a, such and such a time, you recognize your sinfulness, even if it's not a specific sin, and you bring this sacrifice before me on such and such a day. On such and such a day, all the male, male, uh, males of Israel over, over a certain age will uh, appear before me for cleansing. He's built into the law is to deal with their failure to keep the law so that they could still be in covenant. Isn't that cool? You bring a sacrifice. If you blow up, just bring a sacrifice. With the, with the shedding of blood, there's remission of sin. Then there's a ceremony for the whole nation to be cleansed. Yom Kippur, once a year, right? Day of Atonement. And they still couldn't do it. Not only could they not keep the law perfectly, they couldn't even keep the law that forgave them for not keeping the law perfectly. So they were kind of a mess. Now, God still blessed them, and we still see healings, we still see forgiveness, we still see restoration, but their pattern was... Little by little, they kept it less and less and less until the time rolls around when, uh, I guess it was Josiah, right? Uh, comes to the kingdom at age, how old was he? Seven or eight, something like that, eight or nine. And, and uh, he was, wasn't a bad king. For several years, he was pretty good. And then while they're uh, messing around, kind of trying to rebuild the temple, hey, we found this book and it's the law and nobody had seen it. And so then they start reading it, and Josiah, already a good king, goes, oh no, we're in trouble, we're not doing any of this stuff. That's how far they got as a people over the course of hundreds of years. Now, what's this have to do with us? <laughs> I'll have to check my notes to answer that question. God's heart is expressed in the covenant, and his heart has always been to bless us, to restore us, to prosper us, and to heal us. Now, this might seem like a weird place to do it, but I'm going to interrupt myself here because there's a beautiful microcosm of this, a picture in the life of King David. It's a very famous one. It's the first sermon most Ramah graduates want to preach, and it's the story of Mephibosheth, which also figures prominently, by the way, in that, that book I referenced, uh, Scarlet Thread. But... Uh, you remember, probably most of you, that uh, David, before he was king, when Saul was king, the first king of Israel, David and Saul's son, who, in a hereditary mon monarchy, Jonathan would have been the one to inherit Saul's throne. 
And Saul, uh, Jonathan and David became great friends and in fact entered into covenant with one another, as in the full ceremony, exchanging weapons, all this stuff, committed their lives to each other's good long before David was crowned king. And uh, you have to understand that in that culture back then, this wasn't God, the way God set it up, but in this uh, culture of kingdoms, if a new king, if anybody but the king's son, the, 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 the expected heir, took over, the first thing they did was to slaughter anybody in the previous king's family who posed a possible threat to the throne. Uh, if this guy thinks he has a, you know, go down the line of succession, you're going to kill the king's son, his oldest son for sure. You're probably going to kill all his sons, and you're probably going to kill cousins and nephews, anybody. They're going to think as far down the order of succession as they can and kill anybody who might think they have a legitimate claim to the throne to secure their own kingdom. Now, Jonathan, many expected him to be the king. Jonathan himself, it was revealed to him that he knew David was going to be the next king. But he loved David. He didn't have a problem with that. Saul had a huge problem that Jonathan didn't have a problem with that. Cursed his son, called him terrible things for not wanting to be the king or not expecting to be the king. But the bottom line is, Saul and Jonathan both died in battle years later. And David is crowned king. And when... Uh, when Jonathan and Saul died, there was a son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth who was five years old. And his nanny or his nurse finds out that Saul and Jonathan are dead. And you know what she did? Ran with him. Why? Here comes David. Here comes mean old David and his nasty men. They're going to kill Mephibosheth because they don't want him being a threat to the throne. So she runs. And, and as she's running with the child, uh, the child fell. She drops him, maybe lands on him, I don't know, but he became lame in his feet from that day, from, from age five, and lives in hiding for years. And when David's coronation has taken place, he's secure in the palace. He finds himself thinking one day, and he asks, he says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Mephibosheth lives his life hiding from David. Spending his life in fear, thinking that if David ever finds out I'm out here, I'm dead. Then David actually does start to look for him, but what's he looking for him for? What could Mephibosheth be thinking when they finally bring him to David? And what must Mephibosheth have thought? In fact, what did he say? When David said, hey, glad I found you. I'm inviting you to live here. You're going to eat at the king's table. You're going to eat at the king's table. You're going to be treated as a son of the king. And what's Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth say? He says, what? Why, would you tr why, why would you do kindness to, to a dog like me? He'd probably been taught not just to fear David all his life, but to curse David all his life. And he finds out that all David ever wanted to do was bless him. And when he says, I don't deserve this, 
David shows him this scar. You see this? I made a covenant with Jonathan. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this for you. You were in Jonathan when I made this covenant. These blessings, these promises I made Jonathan are now yours because of him, because of my covenant with somebody else. This is super important to understand when it comes to trying to tying the old and new covenants together. When we look at the covenant as if you do all this and recognize that God knew from the beginning that we couldn't and or that we wouldn't, we have to understand God wasn't being mean. He wasn't being unfair. He made his will known. He made his heart known. But he can't deny himself. He can't ignore the sin that disqualifies us. That would make him unholy. But he wants to see us qualified. But we must be righteous to be qualified. Why did God deal so magnificently and kindly with Israel? I mean, getting him out of Egypt. Were they a good and godly and holy people in, I say Israel, yeah, getting them out of Egypt? Were the children of Israel, were the Hebrew people living in Egypt, were they this dedicated, God-seeking group of people? They weren't. But God made a promise to Abraham, and that meant he made a promise to them while they were in Abraham. Why did he deal so magnificently with them? Because they sought him and because they were, they were pure of heart? No, because he promised Abraham that he was going to do that 400 years before. Now, their identity as being in Abraham was all that was needed for them to qualify for God to lead them out of Egypt and into the land of promise. And then... When he does this, he lays on them the responsibility for keeping the law. All these great and precious promises, including what? Healing, physical healing of how many diseases, how many sicknesses? All of them. If they will just obey him. And of course they can't. But God still wants to bless them, still wants to heal them. And remember, his plan is to still use them to bring a Savior to the world. And then we go through all of Old Testament history. We already talked about that. They have their ups and their downs, good kings, bad kings, periods of obedience, periods of disobedience. But overall, it was a slog downward until we get to the birth of Christ. Today is born unto you in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And Jesus said, when we talk about new covenant, he said, yeah, I understand. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And he did perfectly. He's the only one who did. He didn't have the sin nature to overcome, by the way. And he, more than anyone else, understood what was in the covenant. Do you remember? We talked about this just a few weeks ago, it seems like, anyway. The woman who was healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath. She's she was bent over, right? And Jesus heals her. And the leader says, look, there's six days to do work on. If you're going to do the work of healing somebody, let her come on any of the other six days. Don't do work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you do more work for your animals on the Sabbath. And you're telling me that this daughter of Abraham should wait even one more day? What's he appealing to? Her rights as a covenant child. These things belong to her. He's making it clear, I'm not um, doing some favor for a random stranger. 
I'm not here just to show off my power. I am asserting her covenant right to wholeness and health. It belongs to her. And if that's the case, as it, and it was, every son and daughter of Abraham, that was their covenant right. Why were there so many covenant people who were entitled to healing, who were sick in the first place, who were in need of healing? Broadly speaking, it was because of sin. It was sin that introduced sickness into the world in the first place. But many in Jesus' time made the mistake of believing that it was specific sins that caused specific illness. In John 9, do you remember that? Uh, the man who's born blind, his disciples, uh, hey, rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents since he was born blind? Very philosophical question because how could he have sinned before he was born? This blindness couldn't have been punishment for his sin, could it? So it must be his parents' sin, and Jesus is like, that's not how it works. That's the Scott Millis translation. You misunderstand the connection between sin and sickness. He's sick. He's a covenant child, whether he knows it or not. Healing belongs to him, and he restores his sight. Jesus had the authority to do that because he had the authority to forgive sins. He understood that if forgiveness was given, no sin could stand between a covenant person and their right to healing. And when he shed his blood on the cross for all of our sin, he removed once and for all everything that stood between us and everything that God promised his people. His people. Who are his people? The descendants of Abraham. All these blessings, all the right, the covenant right to healing belong to who? The seed of Abraham. Is that us? Look at Galatians chapter 3. And it's all I can do not to read this whole chapter. But in Galatians chapter 3, Go all the way down to verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. According to the promise. Now, Jesus healed people and delivered people on occasion who were outside that covenant. Vast, overwhelming majority of the miracles of healing that he did, all the miracles he did, but we're talking about healing. He healed them based on this. This is their covenant right to healing. He's restoring something, making manifest something God had promised because of the covenant he made with the children of Abraham. It's a wonderful covenant. And Paul makes it clear here that it's not the genetic material of Abraham himself. It's the covenant relationship that we inherit when we are in Christ. Christ is Abraham's direct male line descendant, and we are in him. Every promise is fulfilled in Christ, and if we are in him, every promise can be manifest in our lives. It's not a special favor we're asking from God when we go for healing. It is simply uh, availing ourselves of, appropriating 
something that God says already belongs to us. Now, receive your forgiveness because it's paid for. And receive your healing because it's paid for. This is not in any way to condone the outlook that says, nothing I do matters. I can sin all I want because it's paid for. The power that raises us to new life in Christ also empowers us to live in a manner that is pleasing to him and, almost as important, represents him correctly to a world that desperately needs to see him. Exercise your faith for that too. We can do that, right? When we see behavior in ourselves, whether it's habitual or, or, or otherwise, we can, we can confront this and say, this doesn't make God hate me, but it doesn't please God. Well, it's hard not to, do, hard not to talk that way, hard not to think that way, hard not to do these things. Stop saying that and start saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Stop applying that just to your money or your healing. God wants you to have these things, but start applying it to your holiness, your lifestyle. I can live and speak and act and believe in a way that constantly pleases God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me today. I can do this. Just never forget all of the blessings that are yours because, of, because God cut covenant with Jesus. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled his end of the covenant. And if we are in him, we are in covenant with God. All that to say, when we need a manifestation of healing in our bodies, again, we are not saying, God, right now, please, I need you to do this. We are recognizing that God did it. When did God save you? I mean, you want to get technical in the superlapsarian view. He saved us before the foundation of the earth. But the work in time and space was done 2,000 years ago on the cross. When you cry out to God for salvation, when you confess him as Lord, he's not saving you at that moment. You are simply appropriating the salvation he purchased for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's the same thing with your healing. That's when you were healed. That's when healing became yours. It's in an account with your name on it. You're making a withdrawal on something that God already says belongs to you. That's the covenant. I'm wrapping this up. But let me just say this. I've said this a hundred times. But people want to denigrate the word of faith and believers in the word of faith with a phrase like, name it and claim it. And I got to be honest, to some extent, that's, been, that's justified. We've said, not we, but people who would call themselves word of faith have done some and said some stupid things over the years. There have been excesses, and we all know that, right? So let me be clear. Word of faith is not, I can claim whatever I want. Whatever I name, I can claim word of faith. Uh, uh, I can claim by faith, it's mine. If I want it, God wants me to have it. That's not word of faith. What word of faith is, it's God initiative. If God says it's mine, if God has named it, Word of faith is the claiming part. There's nothing anti-biblical, there's nothing weird, there's nothing spooky about claiming something that God has named as yours. 
God is the one who authored the covenant, and he named himself Jehovah Rapha. He named healing as one of your covenant rights. If it's there, if it's yours, you claim it. That's faith. And claiming it out loud is the word of faith. Speaking it over yourself. Again, the covenant is not, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. It's certainly not, ask me for something and I'll, I'll decide later whether I want to give it to you. That's not the covenant. The covenant is, here's what belongs to you. If you are in covenant with me, it's yours, take it. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Just as David is saying, who can I show kindness to? And Mephibosheth got blessed just because he identified himself as a descendant of Jonathan. He had nothing to do with it. We don't either. We belong to Christ. Therefore, we are sons of God. We are rightful heirs. And as rightful heirs, when we, even when we look at the law, and this is tough because we still carry remnants of the sin nature in our members, we look at what God wants us to do and we think, this is hard, this is unpleasant, the, this is restrictive. I'm going to do my best because I want to please God. But as we grow in grace, we can say with David, oh, how I love your law, O Lord. Your words, your law is sweeter than honey. Can you imagine saying that? The very things that you think are making your life hard and difficult and no fun right now, you really can get to the point in your relationship with God and you understand what God means and what he intends for you to say, oh, wow, God is so good to give me this rule for living. And David, a man after God's own heart, my goodness, did he understand that. Oh, bless the Lord my soul, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord my soul and forget none of his benefits. He forgives all of your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. That's beautiful. That's covenant. This is something that not God can. And really, most of you know this, when we talk about receiving healing, when we talk about healing by faith, divine healing, the biggest hurdle most people have is, does God want to do this? Is it God's will concerning healing? We're going to get into this next week when we talk specifically about faith, but you have to have that nailed down. Is it always God's will to heal? Because it opens up a can of worms. Well, obviously not, because God's will is not going to be thwarted, not everybody's healed, therefore it must not be God's will to heal. That's not how that works. Is it God's will that any should perish? No. Are people perishing? Yeah. Yeah, clearly they are. And so things happen all the time that aren't God's will. We have a part to play in this. God made his will clear. I will take all sickness from your midst. I will put none of the diseases of the Egyptians that you became so familiar with on you. They'll be on your enemies. They're not going to go away. They're just not going to be on you. Now stand up with me, because I said we're going to pray for the sick every, uh, every Sunday during this series. I just want you to be aware of this truth as you come up here. Just like uh, what I read from Christopher Alam, some of you may have gotten healed just sitting there, and I would love to hear it. Maybe God just, something, a switch flipped in the middle of this message, and you're like, my God, my God, 
you are my God and I'm in covenant with you, this healing does belong to me and, you, and you, maybe you, you experienced a manifestation of it. And I want to hear about that. I'm saying that. I do want to pray for you. I want to lay hands on you. And if, if you've got sickness in your body, actually, don't come up yet. I've got something else to do first. But I want you to understand that when I pray for you, it's not, the focus today is not miracles of healing. I'm just up here, you can call it a point of contact for your faith. I'm just simply agreeing with you. I'll be praying with you, agreeing that this is your covenant right, receive it. Okay? But take it back a step and remember who it belongs to. Did God enter into that Mosaic covenant with all mankind? No. He entered into it with the descendants of Abraham. And it still belongs to us because we're the descendants of Abraham if we are in Christ. So there's the big question for today. Before I pray for you, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, this belongs to you already. It should be easy. If you're not, you'll want to be. This ain't just about healing. This is about heaven and hell. This is about prospering in this world in every regard. Or you can kick against the goads your entire life and make your life difficult. More difficult, much more difficult than it needs to be. This is heaven and hell. This is sickness and healing. This is life and death. This is the question. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Does anybody need to make that decision this morning? Heavenly, before you raise any hands, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for mankind. Thank you for your covenant with your children. It's my prayer. I believe it's a prayer of any, every believer in this room that if there's anybody who doesn't know you as Father, doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come to know you today. Reveal yourself as only you can. Reveal to them their need for you. Grant them the wisdom, the boldness, and the humility to come and receive that gift today as provided by the precious blood of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.